0: Welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode, and I do believe one of you is highlighting a missing person this week.
1: So today I'm highlighting Christy Branch. Who is a two year old girl who was last seen on March 22nd, 2023, in Houston, Texas? She's female, she's black, she has brown hair and brown eyes. She's about three feet and she weighs about 20 pounds. If you have any information, please call 911 or 1 800 843 5378. Or you can also call the Houston Police Department at 1 713 884 3131. Hopefully, they find her soon and she gets home safe. Yeah, such a young kid. And as I was saying, I feel like this comes up all the time. She's a two year old, she's a little black girl, and I feel like there's no coverage on her. And it's just like, ugh. How do you have no coverage? I could barely find anything. Like, she's only on. Like, missing and endangered children.
0: Well, I tell you, when I googled it,
1: I had to add her location for yep. anything to come up.
0: So, uh, thank you, Rachel. And I'm gonna throw it over to Christine. And I don't know anything about this case. I only looked at the title of the doc, so I think I'm just gonna sit back and listen? Is that- can I do that? Is Am I gonna be
2: traumatized? I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's not necessarily, like, easy listening. It won't be an easy listen. Okay, so maybe I won't sit back and relax and enjoy. I'll just listen. Might be
2: best. Okay. But, Kate, I'm glad you haven't heard of it because I did kind of want to switch it up this week a bit. And this case is actually massive, but one I don't think a ton of our listeners will be knowledgeable about. Mm. I don't really think it's one that a lot of true crime podcasts cover probably because it's not about like you know one person this is more of like a scandal that went on it's going to involve a little bit of a history lesson as well which I think Kate will appreciate and I mean Rachel too but I know Kate loves her history oh yeah yeah so for (laughs) any other listeners who love that sort of stuff this one is definitely for you and for people who are not into history, I will try not to bore you. It's going to be there, but it's it's going to be brief. And I kind of have to go over it in order for everyone to understand the case.
0: Please give us every detail. <laughs> so Thank with you.
2: all that said, today I am going to be talking about the Tennessee Children's Home Society, which from here on out I will be referring to as TCHS. And TCHS was a chain of orphanages, and I am going to be talking about the many atrocities committed by their main operator, Georgia Tan. So specifically, I wanted to focus on what the crimes looked like and then kind of go more in the general history regarding TCHS, and this will tie into adoption in general within the United States. This is going to be tough. I already know it. I- I'm-, I'm ready to be devastated, though. I'm ready for it. So the reason why I even heard about this case is actually because I read a book called Before We Were Yours, and it is by Lisa Wingate. It's a fictional book, uh, historical fiction, that focuses on a group of children who were placed in TCHS. So essentially, a group of siblings live with their mother and father in a boat off of the river. They move along the river in accordance with the season and the weather, and one day their mother is at the hospital giving birth to twins, and they run into people who say that they are there to bring them to see their parents in the hospital. But the children are all actually kidnapped and then brought to TCHS, where they are put through different forms of abuse. The story alternates between this and present-day events, and they end up being connected, of course. And though the children in the book weren't real, what they went through in the story was eerily similar to the experiences of many other children. The book is rated really highly. Um, I personally would recommend, if anyone listening is into those kind of books, uh, it did remain on the bestseller list for, like, over a year. So some of you might have heard or read this story before. and. Actually, before the book was written, the story was not really known well to the general public. So it this her research on this topic really kind of exploded and led people to look more in depth behind the entire scandal. And almost every article I read about TCHS related to her novel in some way or came about after her novel was published. And even more mind-blowing to me is that People actually found out they were stolen after reading the book and connecting dots. Oh, wow. Yeah. Imagine that. That's, yeah. Oh, I can't God. imagine I that. Know. That's insane. Wow. So, in short, Georgia Tan, who ran the organization for over 20 years, stole over 5,000 babies and was responsible oh for the deaths of hundreds. I, I thought this was going to be like
0: a big number. But I wasn't expecting you to say five thousand.
2: No, of course. Yeah. That
0: doesn't surprise me. Oh my god.
1: These places were awful.
0: I listen, I, I buy it. I totally believe it. That just the scale of that is insane to me. And this also as a whole is such a field that's I don't want to say unregulated, congested, maybe. At that time it was. Okay, so at that time, yeah. So I was like, I don't wanna like accuse like modern There's too there's too many kids to be cared for and not enough people who work in that field to make sure they're in safe places with due care. And this is a really good example of when that absolutely
2: goes haywire. Oh, yeah, definitely. I dive into that a little bit later. So first, I'm just going to briefly go over Georgia Tan. She was born on July 18th, 1891 in Philadelphia, Mississippi. So not Pennsylvania. There's a Philadelphia in Mississippi. I had to check that like a couple times. I was like, okay. Like, is this real? A lot less people. I think when I looked it up, it's like 7,000. But technically a city because Mississippi.
1: But 7,000, small town.
2: Yeah, uh, this case is not going to be a small town case, uh, <laughs> its place, but I just accepted my fate a long time ago with that. So True, you're right. Tan's father had dreams of her becoming a concert pianist, and she took classes throughout her childhood years and into adulthood. She attended Martha Washington College and graduated with a degree in music in 1913, and then took courses in social work at Columbia University for a couple of summers, Despite her father's wishes, Tan hated playing the piano, and she wanted to be a lawyer just like her father. I felt that. <laughs> Except the father part. My bad. Under her father's instruction, she studied the law, passed the state bar exam in Mississippi. However, her father did not want her to practice, as it was seen to be very unusual for a woman in the early 1900s to do so.
0: I'm not denying the historical accuracy of that or like pushing back on it because you're 100% right. That time period, it was not seen as appropriate for women to even go to law school. My school Mm -hmm. was founded in the early 1900s as a law school for just women.
2: Fun fact. But this was Mississippi. I know. And (laughs) my
0: school's in Massachusetts. So this is, you know, clearly a little bit of a different thing. But my point being that even in Massachusetts, they had to dedicate a whole school Mm -hmm. to specifically admitting women Because these women weren't getting admitted elsewhere, which, you know, my feelings
2: on that. Yep. And Tanda not have desire to marry or have children at the time. So she went into social work, as that was really one of the only career options that unmarried women of her time had. Mm -hmm. Soon after beginning a career in social work, she found employment at the Mississippi Children's Home Society, working as a receiving director... She was terminated there for her questionable child-placing methods, which involved removing children from impoverished homes without cause. Oh, my God. (gasps) Yeah, then she moved on over to Texas, where it's believed she adopted a child that she named June, which I was like, okay, so you weren't interested in having children, but then you adopted a child? Right. Like, the math ain't Mm math then. But, (laughs) I mean, whatever. Uh, So then she moved again to Memphis, where her father was able to secure her a new job for uh, an executive secretary position at TCHS in 1922. And she ended up staging a takeover of the organization by 1929. Ooh. Yeah, right? <laughs> and she just named herself executive director. Like, I don't understand how that's even possible. I don't know. I had questions too. I tried looking it up and I wasn't really getting anywhere. So, okay, well, so far
0: <laughs> she is like gatekeep, gaslight, girl boss personified. <laughs> but like the negative connotation.
2: Yeah, definitely the negative one, but I I don't know how she did it. She just did. So, now is the adoption history portion of this. So, to know this case You have to know, adoption was not regulated the way that it is today, as we have pointed out. Going way back in U.S. history, there were various reports of adoption in the United States throughout the 1700s, as early as that, but they were not formally recognized. Um, I'm not sure if you guys also remember learning about orphan trains, but those originated around 1850 in the span of 65 years a About 150,000 street children traveled from northeastern cities on orphan trains that took them to rural areas in the Midwest, the West, and the South. And at different stops along the way, the children would be put up on platforms and chosen by locals to either become their foster or adoptive children. That's. Mm -hmm. So that was that. Literally human trafficking. Yeah, that was kind of like the first major adoption type of deal in the country. Then we had in 1917, the first laws requiring the sealing of adoption records were passed in Minnesota. In 1938, the Child Welfare League advocated for secrecy in adoption proceedings, otherwise known as closed adoptions. And it wasn't until 1976 that open adoption was once again advocated for, though that was still not popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And as the 90s approached, conversations about adoption began to become more focused on the future of the adoptee instead of just focusing on the birth parents and adoptive parents. Okay. In 1996, Bastard Nation emerged as a group with concerns about the state of adoption in the United States. They called for the unsealing of confidential adoption records, arguing that by sealing a person's birth records, states were denying individuals the most basic of human rights. Mm -hmm. Their protests led to Oregon passing a ballot measure in 98, which gave adoptees 21 years or older access to their birth certificate. And actually, to this day, many states still seal this information. Some states have open adoption records, others have restricted or partial access to records, and some have sealed records or very limited access to records. So they kind of fall in those three categories. And that last group with sealed or very limited access is the largest still at 24 states. And that includes California, Arizona, Florida, Mississippi, the Dakotas, Texas, Utah, to name a few. And just because you live in one of those states, there are still ways that you can gain access to adoption records. Uh, It's just a little bit more difficult. So you would have to, like, file a petition, meet with a judge, argue for why you believe unsealing the record is important to you. Most often, you're going to be successful if you say that it's for, uh, like, medical necessity. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Um, And then if the judge denies access, you would just have to go through an intermediary. So despite that, in general, 95% of of all adoptions today are open. So attitudes have just greatly changed around Mm -hmm. adoption, basically. Until recently, like closed adoptions were very much the norm. So Georgia Tan's overall goal was to make money. And how did she do this? by stealing from the poor and giving to the rich. Classic. Opposite Robin Hood. (laughs) Robin Hood. So she would steal children who were poor, whose families could not fight to get them back. She would clean them up, make them sound like they came from a desirable family. Desirable. Mm. And then charge rich people exorbitant fees for the children. And you're thinking, okay, like, she can maybe get away with us for a couple of years, right? Like how long can someone just kidnap babies before they're caught? For Tan, Man. it was over two decades.
1: Oh my god. For anyone, shut it
2: down. Jeez.
1: How do so many people look the other way? I know. Cause you know people
2: did. Come on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they definitely did. So her main method that she enjoyed using that word is Crazy. Uh, her main method of stealing children involved linking in her well-established network of co-conspirators who would kidnap the children or notify her of children who were alone. Oh my God. She would often drive through impoverished neighborhoods. She would pick out the prettiest children. Usually they would have blonde hair and blue eyes because that was okay. what was yeah. desirable yes. at the time. That was the time. Yep, and then she would offer them rides in her shiny black luxury car. Uh, Mind you, this was also before the time people really stressed stranger danger. Many kids in these impoverished areas would also just simply exist outside all day because their home did not have air conditioning. Mm. And that made it pretty easy along with the fact that Tan was a woman and she was like very matronly looking. Yeah. So that made it easy for her to lure the kids in. Like I said, tan-targeted, rich, and famous people who paid these premium prices, actors, authors, and entertainers, including, I don't know if you guys are going to know any of these people, Um, (laughs) Dick Powell and June Allison, Lena Turner, Pearl S. Buck, remember The Good Earth? Yeah, I was going to say, I know that name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was the author of The Good Earth, which we read in school. Uh,
1: Sure did. Joan Crawford.
2: And New York Governor Herbert Lehman all adopted TAN babies. Okay. And if the adoptive parents asked too many questions about the children, TAN threatened to have the child removed from their custody. She would also repossess children whose adoptive parents couldn't make full payments on time. Jeez. And this is just horrible both ways because most, if not all, of these people like had no idea
1: mm-hmm. that yeah. these
2: babies were stolen.
1: Right. No, yeah, I get that.
2: It's just horrible on both You think ends. you're doing
0: the humane thing by adopting yeah. a child that needs a home. and You didn't realize it was taken from
2: another home. So another tactic she would use would be to lie to the adoptive parents. She would come back months later saying the biological family was asking for their child back. And she required a hefty fee for her lawyers who can make the situation go away. Oops. So she would just like oh blackmail God. these parents. And... She committed murder, too. On many occasions, babies would be taken when they were only a few hours old, and they would be placed in nursing homes around Memphis where they would not have any medical care. Children who were placed in TCHS were not properly cared for, and many died as a direct result of this. Uh, Somewhere between 40 and 50 children died in 1945. In only around four months due to a dysentery outbreak. Oh, jeez. And a lot of things just would have been treatable had they actually had proper care. Yeah, that's awful. Babies would be kept in sweltering conditions. Children would even be drugged in order to be kept quiet until they were sold.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, no words. I just like... I know. Like, what makes you think about
2: that? I don't understand. Money. That was, like, the only thing she saw. She, like, did not seem human. Other children were kept in dark closets, beaten, or put on weeks-long starvation rations. Uh, Drug addicts and pedophiles were hired to watch over them. Sexual abuse at TCHS was common.
0: Yeah, I mean...
2: What the fuck? One adoptee who was five years old at the time that she lived there spoke of her abuse... Sexual abuse at the hands of Georgia Tan was very true, and it was presented as your favor. It caused me a lot of problems. You won't find a whole lot of healthy adults who went through there. Oh, my God. God. And then another adoptee explained, Back then, every boy in an orphanage got molested, and he pointed to male caretakers as the typical perpetrators. Oh, my God. Former TCHS employees revealed that if an infant was deemed too weak, it might be left in the sun to die oh oh my god i know and then if a child had some sort of disability or was simply considered too ugly or too old to be of use tan would have people get rid of them oh well, we all know what that means well yeah and many of the children were buried on the property though 19 children were buried in an unmarked plot of land in the elmwood cemetery in memphis Um, I'm going to touch on that later. And the exact number of deceased children remains unknown, with estimates of about 500 deaths due to mistreatment. And as a result of TAN's practices, by the 1930s, Memphis had the highest infant mortality rate in the United States. Yeah, that makes sense. Holy crap. As we touched on, how did she get away? with her black market baby adoption scheme. Well, she had help. She had connections. Mm-hmm. She had a connection with E.H. Crump, who was a powerful politician in Tennessee. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like his name. <laughs> I know. E.H. Crump. <laughs> Crump. No. I almost typed Crum like, several times. <laughs> but. And he offered Georgia Tan protections in exchange for kickbacks, her most useful co conspirator was Camille Kelly, a juvenile court judge in the city. Kelly would pretend she was acting in the best interests of children when she removed parental rights from impoverished, single, or widowed mothers. And then she would transfer the children to Tan, making the path for adoption easy. So oh. she would just sign away their rights. Right. That's horrible. <sighs> and Tan even had someone in the welfare department who would let her know when someone applied for assistance so that Camille Kelly could get involved in the case. Jeez. Disgusting. These next parts are horrible too. Great. She yeah. <laughs> she also paid off social workers, police officers, doctors, and lawyers wow. so she could kidnap and traffic more victims. Oh, Children gosh. were kidnapped. From preschools, churches, playgrounds, prisons, welfare hospitals, and homes for unwed mothers. Jesus. Doctors and nurses who Tan bribed would tell new mothers that their babies had died during birth. And that they would be buried at no cost to the families. That's horrible. That that part to me, like, that's what got me. And oh my god. Like, even herself, she would take children from unmed unwed mothers at birth claiming like oh they need medical care and then when the mothers were like where's my child she would just say like oh they died that's one of the most like awful pieces of information in this case for me
0: yeah that's That's this whole episode is just gonna be an hour of me and rachel saying oh my god but like
1: i don't know what else to say yeah i feel sick like my tummy aches now
2: that's hard it's devastating Uh, Some families would just place their child temporarily in the orphanage because a family member was experiencing illness or unemployment only to discover later on their child was gone and records of the children who had been processed through the society were destroyed and their reports were fictionalized. So Mm -hmm. obviously later on it made it a lot harder for them to find Mm -hmm. any information. And then another tactic that Tan would use was coercion. She would convince mothers into signing their children away while they were still under sedation from labor. <gasps> and she preyed upon their shame if they were unwed, because at the time, obviously, that was that was big big scandal. Local. Yeah. Um, their desperation and their poverty. And a lot of mothers signed over their parental rights without even understanding what was happening. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And she also was just very popular and had powerful allies in her corner. she actually toured the entire country lecturing on adoption if you can believe it, yeah which is really interesting considering how little she actually knows about adoption yep, and Eleanor Roosevelt herself sought out her advice on child welfare no 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 Eleanor who better <laughs> I know I mean granted at the time she probably knew nothing about it because. Maybe she did. Who knows? But Tan would get on her soapbox and deliver a talk reminiscent to those in favor of eugenics about how adopted children turned out better due to the selective process and stated that poor children could be remade into a higher type. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So as she grew more and more popular, she grew more bold. She would place ads in newspapers featuring children with titles such as Yours for the Asking and They'd Like to Be Your Christmas Gift. Ew. And she even created a baby catalog to help prospective what? parents choose the perfect child.
0: No, literally, that's like... Bleh. I don't know how else to react.
2: That's horrible. She did also develop another publicity stunt in the 1940s in which she would raffle off 20 or 30 babies every year during the Christmas baby giveaway.
0: You just, you just don't do that. I know. It is not a combination of words that should be put together. You Baby raffle? A baby raffle. Yeah. If you say baby raffle, it better be like a diaper raffle. Right. Like you go to a baby shower and mm-hmm. the invitation says, like, bring a box of diapers and be entered into the diaper raffle, and then they, like, pick a name out of all the people who brought diapers and you win a gift card, like, that's that's a baby raffle. hmm And there should be no other meaning for it. No, Legit. there shouldn't be.
2: None. Yeah, so tickets would be $25 at the time, uh, $350 today. And ticket holders assumed their money would be going to TCHS, but she obviously pocketed most of the money for herself. Oh, of course. And as we've explained, her goal was to make money, and that she did. She is believed to have made $1 million from taking and selling children. Which translates to around $11 million in today's money. Christ. For context, Tennessee law at the time required children to be adopted in state for a fee of $7, which is around $75 in today's money. But TAN's fee was $1,000 or around $10,000 in today's money. So, oh, that's like, unfathomable. very drastic difference. Yeah, that's an upcharge. Oh, yeah. On- children. So she was found to have pocketed up to 90% of the fee. She could get prospective parents on everything from travel costs to home visits, attorney fees. She would even charge for background checks that she never conducted, and of course she would blackmail adoptive parents and suck every penny out of them that she could. Right. So I wanted to go over a couple of personal stories. I couldn't find anything of great length. I know there is a book that the author of Before We Were Yours published with someone else. And that book actually has a collection of, I think, like 19 personal stories from adoptees. So Mm. that one's nonfiction, obviously. But one personal story I could find um, and one that actually really closely mirrors the story in the book that I read involves a woman named Norma Sue and her five siblings who were kidnapped from the yard of the river shanty in early 1943 tan pulled her usual tactic on the children pulling up in her shiny expensive car and asking the children if they wanted to go for a ride Mm -hmm. and since tan looked non-threatening they agreed in actuality tan had been tipped off to the fact that the kids had been home alone due to their mother being in the hospital norma was eight years old when she was kidnapped, so she knew her name. She knew her family. You're old enough to know. That she point. wasn't just gonna forget like a lot of the babies that she took. Mm-hmm. Norma Sue and her siblings ended up staying at TCHS for three months, where they were exploited as free labor. Norma Sue's daughter explained that her mom and twin sister would have to take care of the babies and change their diapers. The twin siblings were the only siblings that stayed together, and they were adopted out to a family in Philadelphia. And as Tan often did, she lied about Norma Sue's upbringing to make her more desirable. The children were said to come from good homes with very attractive young mothers, and in this report and other reports, fathers were described as intelligent and in medical school. Tan had lied and said the twins were six instead of eight. And she also would usually change the names of the children to make them harder to trace. Great. Yeah. This is a really brief one, but another one of Georgia Tan's victims was Jean Tapia, or Tapia, who would eventually become a NASCAR driver. He had a child taken from him by Tan while he was fighting in World War II. His son was stolen moments after birth by Tan, and it took him and his wife Francine 47 years to be reconnected with him. So she had been running this black market baby scheme unchecked for over two decades. So how did it all end? Well, things took a turn in 1949 when Tennessee elected a new governor named Gordon Browning. This led to E.H. Crump, who Mm -hmm. kept quiet about Tan's practices, losing his hold on Memphis politics. And on September 12th, 1950, after launching an investigation into TCHS, Browning held a press conference revealing Tan and her network of co-conspirators. The story was published in the media nationwide, where Tan was accused of receiving as much as $1 million in profits. TCHS was closed in 1950 after it had taken months to find homes for the children remaining there. And the state of Tennessee sued Tan's estate. 500,000. Now you're probably thinking, wait a second. Tan's estate. Right. When. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Tan was never held accountable. Great. Yeah. Three days after all of this blew up and all of this came out, she died at home after slipping into a coma from untreated uterine cancer. Oh. Three days. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the worst plot twist ever like that universe could have played like i was
0: hoping she'd be held accountable
2: but now no death was too kind for this woman in my opinion so what happened to the others all the other people involved on november 11th 1950 judge camille kelly the judge who worked alongside tan quietly resigned though she was believed to be receiving bribes for ruling in tan's favor Mm -hmm. A report by the Tennessee Department of Public Welfare stated that while she failed on many occasions to aid destitute families and permitted family ties to be destroyed, she had not personally profited from the rulings. So she died in 1955 without any charges having been brought against her. Mm -hmm. And in order to protect lawmakers and their influential friends from prosecution, all adoption records were sealed by the Tennessee legislature. Adoptees of TCHS thus required a court order to get their birth records. Mm -hmm. No one was ever prosecuted for their roles in the black market baby scheme. What the hell, man? It's just so frustrating. So for adoptees of TCHS, the process of getting their birth records was not easy. In the 1990s, Marianne Glad, co-founder of the adoption nonprofit Right to Know, came forward to help the adoptees as she had access to a lot of the records and the people involved. Mm -hmm. For some adoptees, they are left with conflicting feelings. For instance, one TCHS adoptee, Matt Lucas, never found his birth family, as he felt too guilty while his parents were alive. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 84, he now doubts that there is anyone left to find. He stated... I'll be buried at the feet of my adoptive mother, but I'd still like to find my first mother's grave. I'd like to stand there and let her know I turned out all right. Dude, I'm sorry, but old people having, like, unresolved stuff just fucking breaks my heart. Devastating. So sad. Like, I really, at 84, (sighs) he's still thinking about this. It's like,
1: can we just give this man some answers?
2: Right? And sadly for many families, they just never found each other again. It was known, actually, that Tan was fond of cremation because it left no evidence. That bitch. Yeah, she's the worst. Adoptees and their families do take some comfort in a small memorial in Memphis Elwood Cemetery, which was placed in 2015. And this is the site of the 19 children who were buried, which I mentioned earlier. So the gravestone reads, In memory of the 19 children who finally rest here, unmarked if not unknown and all Mm -hmm. of the hundreds who died under the cold hand of the tennessee children's home society their final resting place unknown their final piece of blessing followed by the hard lesson of their fate changed adoption procedure and law nationwide and let's talk a little bit about that so how did this scandal change things that's the least we can hope for out of all this.
1: Yeah, at least you learn from other people's mistakes and you can fix it. It's awful that it happened, but it should never happen again. Ever, ever, ever.
2: So right off the bat in 1951, there was an adoption reform law made in Tennessee. Um, it is Chapter 202 of the Public Acts of 1951, and essentially it led to more availability of records to adoptees for adoptions finalized or attempted to be finalized prior to March 16th, 1951. So it was supposed to make it a little bit easier, although that was still hard just because of the falsification of stuff. So, And though this was definitely an unintentional thing on Tan's part, she actually um, popularized adoption in general. Mm -hmm. She also commercialized it. (laughs) So before Tan, adoption was not at all popular. So for instance, the Boston Children's Aid Society placed only five children per year in the 1920s. And in contrast, in 1928, Tan placed 206 children with adoptive families. She made it so that affluent people, even celebrities, were adopting. And she had that belief that, like, the children could be a blank slate and that you could, like, pick out the best kid and stuff. So the practice of adoption became associated with, like, famous, influential families... And a lot of the stigma around adoption no longer existed. It's just a weird thing to have come out of this. Yeah, it really is. But it destigmatized adoption in a fucked up way. Yeah, yeah. that's really I, fucked up. I
0: can't say it's net like fully positive. I think mm. it maybe. I don't want to say net positive because people
2: died. Yeah. But like there were pros. Yeah, and that's, like, a lot of articles do point that out. Like, she was, like, the worst human, but, like, there's this weird pro that came of it that definitely wasn't intentional by her. Like, she was not trying to do any good. It just ended up happening because of the way that everything played out.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And now I'm just going to go over a couple of recent laws, more recent laws relating to TCHS. So in 1979, the state adopted legislation requiring the state to assist siblings who were trying to find each other. Uh, in 1996, the state of Tennessee enacted a law which revised the process of obtaining adoption records by releasing them to adult adoptees of TCHS upon receiving permission from any living birth parents. Okay. So those laws made it a little bit easier for them to find people they were related to. And it is worth mentioning, there is currently a Tennessee Children's Home, which is accredited by the state of Tennessee, and it has no connection to Georgia TAN or the society she operated. (laughs) Just want to throw that out there if you look that up. Not related. And then the last part is just talking a little bit about repercussions for victims. So Norma Sue, who I was talking about earlier, the victim who was taken from the river along with her five siblings – uh, she died a few years ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Last year, her daughters brought her ashes back to be scattered on the banks of the Mississippi, close to where she was taken.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: I know. Her daughters expressed that their mother had been so traumatized by what happened to her that she became chronically depressed. At the age of 15, mm-hmm. she was already pregnant. And by 22, she had five children and Oh was my gosh! Whoa. Norma Sue moved often and institutionalized her own children, thus repeating the cycle. Here's a quote from her daughter, Virginia Williamson. I feel rather strongly that people should know this doesn't stop with the victims. The story goes on and on and remains in the DNA of the generations. Author of Before We Were Yours states, I'm hearing from people all over the world who to this day are still fighting very similar things. One of our takeaways from all this should be that children are still monetized, Mm -hmm. and we have to Mm -hmm. be on the lookout for situations where money takes precedence over the welfare of kids. Mm -hmm. We now know the effects of something like this can last lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And that is where I ended this on. Yeah, but I feel like this was a – it's a big case, but I just feel like it's not the kind of cases It's that – we cover. It's a lot different. So I wanted to do something different. And I also um, am kind of interested in this kind of stuff. I was in a lab that focused on adoption research for a couple years in college. Mm -hmm. And I like published a paper along with people and went to Montreal for it. So I just find this stuff kind of interesting. And I know adoption itself is Mm, in a weird spot today, kind of. Mm-hmm. But, it definitely is. But I didn't want to talk about it.
1: Well, it was very different, and I definitely appreciate it. Like, this is definitely something that gets swept under the rug, mm-hmm. and these children like deserve to be talked about. Like, so many kids lost their lives because of this, like awful
2: of a woman, and it's just the ripple effect that it has is crazy. We're getting on, like, the tail end. Like, a lot of people are older now, so it's mostly, like, their children who are telling their stories at this point.
0: Yeah. Every part of that got worse. I don't know what I expected.
1: I feel like that's a trend.
0: Yeah. I think it ends up being, like, a hundred times more devastating than any case I would ever pick.
1: No, I get it, but you gotta do it. It's devastating, but
0: you gotta know about it yeah and important to talk about because like i said i had no idea and the impact it had on adoption is crazy adoption is nuts
2: like child trafficking is still happening happening today in so many places and so many other ways yep for sure it's it's just horrible ridiculous
1: Mm -hmm. how can you do that to a child how can you do that to a person let alone a child
2: yeah all right well catch you guys yeah, on the flip next Tuesday, <laughs> uh, and okay, the next episode that comes out will be Kate's. Tune so in. Uh, maybe it will be a wild, crazy case that maybe involves no deaths. We'll no, see. Um, there's death. okay, okay. Well, spoiler alert: there, is, <laughs>
0: there, there are deaths. I did another international one. That's too Oh, around.
2: Japan,
0: Japan. Yeah. So it, it's well, it's interesting. It. I don't want to give it away. Um, it is international part of it takes place in Japan so mm. it's sort of a global story and it'll have some familiar names in it that I think you guys will recognize at least by name even if you don't actually know the people like and mm. what they're known for you'll be like oh, I know that mm. name yeah okay I'm intrigued Interesting. okay yeah.
1: I'm excited now
0: um, check our Insta at Town Mysteries Pod. We'll be posting a picture of the missing person that Rachel highlighted this week. Go give us a follow there and you'll see announcements of when our new episodes are coming out. And you can DM us. No one ever does, but you can. Mm-hmm. You can, unless it's weird. Unless it's weird. And then maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. If you have ideas
2: for cases, let us know. We would love to hear them. Yes. And also leave a review on Apple Podcasts, please and thank you. Yes, thank you. please do that. Bye. 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 Bye.